Our lesson this morning comes from the second chapter of 1 Peter, verses 2 through 10. Hear these words. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Come to him a living stone, though rejected by mortals, yet chosen and precious in God's sight. And like living stones, let yourselves be built into a spiritual house, to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, See, I'm laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. To you then who believe, he is precious. But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the very head of the corner and the stone that makes them stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own people, in order that you may proclaim the mighty acts of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. At the Aurora Church, we were right across the street from the Hart Elementary School. And in the fall, in the spring of the year, I used to love to throw my window open so I could listen to the kids playing on the playground. And if you're depressed and if you're blue, I just invite you to listen to kids playing on the playground because their joy and their laughter will lift you up. And during the after school hour, I confess that I used to like to go stand out in front of the office building and watch the parents jockey for car line. I decided that I would never quite have that skill. It was something like demolition derby and fighting for a parking place at Walmart during the Christmas season. But it, it was interesting to watch and I was standing there on one afternoon and I could see him. It was little Bo Powers. Bo was in kindergarten at Hart Elementary. His mother was on staff at the church. And Bo Powers is the singular reason I absolutely refuse to do children's sermons. He was that child. He said more in worship than I have done in 40 years. But I could see Bo tugging on Kathy. He was tugging on her purse. He was tugging on her sleeve. He was pointing at the church. And I couldn't hear what he was saying, but he was yakking away because that's what he did during children's sermons. Bo was talking to mom, and mom was walking, kind of dragging Bo. And they got to the crosswalk, and I could hear it. He was tugging on mama. Mama, mama, that's my church. That's my church, mama. And I thought, oh, He's got it. 
I want Methodists to be excited about that again. That's my church. That's my church. Because we've gone through this season where, oh, that's my church. And we need to get past that, and we need to get a little bit of bow powers in our life, and we need to get excited about being the church of Jesus Christ. And I, I think about bow because bow and, and the month of May co- sort of coincide for me because I've now been doing this for 47 years. I preached my first sermon as a senior in high school. And I remember walking out to the podium that morning to preach thinking, why in the world would anybody want to do this? And I think I felt the lightning bolt at that moment and the snicker in heaven going, ha we'll show you, Bubba, hang on. The Thursday before the service or the Tuesday before the service, I'd gone and I met with the pastor because our church was actually on television. We'd been on television since the late 1960s and we had the big cameras with people sitting behind them on headsets and there were two of them, one up in the balcony and one down on the main floor and we were just used to it. The lights in the front and all that, Every, everybody's church was on TV, we thought. But the pastor walked me in and I stood behind the pulpit and he pointed to the most important object in that room. It wasn't the cross of Jesus. It wasn't the open Bible on the communion table. It was in the back of the room on the face of the balcony. It was the clock. He said, can you see the clock? I said, yes, sir. And he pointed to the men up stairs and they turned on all the television lights and he said can you still see the clock barely but yes sir so I'm going to tell you something about that clock our worship service started at 10:50, and we had about 10 minutes of what churches do announcements and some of that other stuff and so when the television feed started we were all standing singing a big hymn The pastor said they do, they swap the feed into our church and from 11 o'clock until 12 o'clock, there's nobody at the television station because we are the broadcast. He said, I don't care what you do, but you have to do something until 12 o'clock. No problem. View Sunday arrived 47 years ago. It was the Sunday morning after my senior prom. Prom is not a good way to prepare to preach the next day. I've tried that. It didn't work. Yes, I went and... um, we started the service at 10, uh, 10.50 and we did our youth thing, youth announcements, uh, youth call to worship, youth invocation. Um, we sang a couple of youth songs. We did the opening hymn. I'd looked. It was 11 o'clock. We had the TV feed. And I knew that because the red lights were on some of the cameras. We did everything we could do. And I walked up in the pulpit, my first sermon ever. And I stood there and I looked up. 10 minutes after 11, 
I preached to 1205. I still have that sermon, by the way. I'll take requests if you ever want to hear it. It's a long sucker. I went from generations to revolutions and all the way back again, but I didn't. I got us through that worship service. And I think of all these years of church, and there are some holy moments where I want to say, that's my church. And I think about the people I've known, and I want to brag on the folks and say, those are members of my church, the big body of Christ. So all I'm going to do is change our pronoun for this message. And I want to say that our church, our church has Christ as the cornerstone. Peter is talking a lot about this cornerstone rock. And when we hear cornerstone or when we hear chief stone, we think about what we do architecturally. That the cornerstone is some marble stone on the side of a church building or it's some brass stone attached to a church building. And we've got one. It says Trinity United Methodist Church, 1972, Merlin Merrill Pastor. And it's got the listing of the bishop and the district superintendent and it names the building committee and it names the architect and it names the contractor for the church. As a matter of fact, Trinity has several of those because we've had several different iterations and we've been places and we built several buildings. That's not what the Bible means when it says cornerstone. The Bible is talking about an arch and the stone right at the top of the arch the stone that exerts downward pressure on the arch and causes the other stones in the arch to stay in place. It's literally the stone of testing. Jesus is the stone of testing. He puts pressure on us and he keeps us together as his people and we sometimes need a little pressure on us to stay together. Paul wrote it like this, for just as the body is one and has many members and all the members of the, and all are members of the body though there are many there is just one body so it is with Christ for in the one spirit, we've all been baptized into one body, Jews and Greeks, slaves and free. We've all been made to drink of one spirit. Indeed, the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot would say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear were to say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, if the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole body were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But as it is, God has arranged members of the body, each one of them, as he chose. We are different as night and day. We think differently, we act differently, we behave differently, we respond differently to music, we respond differently to spiritual disciplines, we respond differently to the sacraments of the church, and that's part of the beauty of being the body of Christ. We are all different. We uniquely respond to that good news that Christ has given us. My faith is not your faith, your faith is not gonna be my faith. I do stuff, you go, why is he doing that? 
that would bore me. You do stuff, and I go, why are you doing that? I can't sing, so there you go. We are all different and unique, and I hope that as you discover a deeper relationship with Jesus Christ, you discover how he has created you to respond uniquely to the gospel. But it's Christ as that cornerstone, as that stone of testing, as the one that's at the top of the arch that is putting pressure on us, that binds us together, that holds us together. Our church has Christ as its cornerstone. And our church has transformed people as its parts, transformed people. All of us responding to Christ, all of us living for Christ. There is an abbey in Bath, England, and the abbey has a foundation problem. You see, before we Protestants sort of roam the theological face of the earth, the Catholics had, had the theology, they had the church, and the Catholic, part of Catholic theology is that one of the ways you can make your prayers more effective is to pray through the saints. If you got a particular saint, St. Patrick, St. Francis, whatever saint you like, you can ask the saint to intercede with you for God. And we Protestants came along and said, nope, we're just going to all be believers and priests before God. We'll go straight to God ourselves. But what they would do in these medieval Catholic churches is because you wanted to keep your saints close by, they would bury them under the church. And you can go to Canterbury Cathedral right now, and I'm, I looked in Canterbury until I found Thomas a Becket. I wanted to know where he was buried. And there he is. And you can go to Westminster and St. Paul's and find all these cool people buried under the floors of the church. The abbey at Bath had a foundation problem. Over the course of its history, there were some 6,000 saints buried under that church. And so they started digging, they lifted the stones up and they started digging under the church and they found out the church was sitting on absolutely nothing. Imagine trying to put 6,000 people under the floor of your church. It's going to create voids. It's going to create spaces. We are not built on that kind of sainthood. Our church is built on the saints of God sitting right where you are because you are the saints of God. You are the ones calling out to God. You are the priesthood of all believers. If I need somebody to confess to or pray with, I'll go confess to and pray with you because that's the role that you carry out in our church. Our church has Christ as its cornerstone. Our church has transformed people for its parts. We're all a part of the children of God. We're all a part of the family of God. We belong here. And it is our uniqueness that is one of our strengths. It is our individuality that is one of our strengths. And our church has a purpose. We have a purpose. 
We are to proclaim God's mighty acts of salvation. As Paul said, proclaim the mighty acts of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You have a story to tell, and guess what? It's your story. It's yours. There is one thing no one can argue with, and that's your experience of Jesus Christ. They may want to argue theology with you. They may want to argue some nuance of the incarnation with you. But no one can argue your experience. So don't tell them my experience. Don't tell them your parents' experience. You share what's going on in your heart. We have a story to tell. Bo was so excited that was his church. And I want us to experience that joy and that life. I want people to drive by. Have you seen Trinity at night now? Have you seen what we've done to the bell tower? You can see the bell tower all the way from Monroe. I'm telling you, it isn't subtly lit. It's lit up. It was done because one of our church members said, even if somebody's driving in the darkness, I want them to know our church is here and I want them to know that there's hope. So I want us all to be like Bo. That's my church. There was an Episcopal priest who was shopping for a Harley Davidson motorcycle. An Episcopal priest, yeah. And so he was in there and the salesman was talking about speed, acceleration, and how women love to climb on the back of that and be taken for a ride. And then he discovered his customer was a priest. So immediately he changed his approach and his tack. And he soberly talked about good mileage, the advantage of 360 visibility, and how practical motorcycles are. Writing about the experience later, the priest had this to say. Have we told the world that being a Christian is more like riding a lawnmower than a motorcycle? Is the life of faith more safe and sound or dangerous and exciting. The common image of the church is pure lawnmower, slow and deliberate and plodding. Our task, yours and mine, our task, is to take the church out on the open road, give it the gas, and see what this baby can do. That's my church. That's my church. You're going to experience the church in front of you, behind you, beside you, jostling with you as you come to the altar this morning and experience the Christ, his body broken for you.
his blood shed for you. Amen. Becky, would you come? And if you've been asked to help us, would you come at this point? And I'm going to remind you what I always do, that this is the Lord's table, that you're all invited here. You're all welcomed here. We serve communion by intention, by receiving a piece of the bread and then dipping it in the chalice. We invite you to uh, uh, spend time at the altar and pray if you'd like to. And um, the table of, no, I'm going to do the chalice. Today. I never get to do the chalice. I'm going to do the chalice. Thank you. I'm going to do the chalice. This is my church. There you go. Uh, there are two stations. Uh, we're going to be free range Methodists, so you just come as you will. Thanks for listening to the Trinity Podcast. To find out more about Trinity, visit us online at www.trinityreston.org.